Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Walk in Victory podcast, where we sit you at the feet of the masters. My name is Carla, and I'm excited to introduce you to our host, Naron Tillman, recording from the bustling borough of Queens, New York. On this show, we dive deep into the journeys of individuals who have overcome tremendous challenges to achieve their goals. Through their stories, we hope to provide you with inspiration, guidance, and strategies for your own journey towards victory. So get ready to learn from the masters themselves as we explore the triumphs and struggles that make success possible. Let's dive in. And now here's our host, Naron Tillman. Good afternoon, good day, good evening. I don't know what time you're listening or where you're listening from. It's your boy, your host, Naron Tillman, and you are in store for another episode <laughs> of Walk in Victory. The year is winding down. We are in oh, um, holiday season, and most people make resolutions. I've said this number time and time again. I was just talking to a friend yesterday, and we were talking about plans. And they asked me about resolution. And I said, I don't make resolutions. If I want to do something, I'm going to start today. Why well, wait till January to do what I can start today? If I want to lose weight, I'm going to start now. And I'm not going to say after Christmas, I'm going to load up with food. And then after Christmas, I'm going to start. I'm going to challenge myself to get past the Christmas and see all of the sweets and see the food and have the mindset that this is my goal and this is what I want to do. So my resolution starts now. There was a few things that I wanted to button up this year and or button up in this ending out this year. And I've worked diligently on doing that. One of the things is posting, making sure that I post regularly and I take and I, and I become more creative in, a, in social media planning. I, I, I have several certifications in, in digital marketing and it's funny, I can get hired by someone to do some marketing stuff for them and I'll do it. When it comes to doing my own, <laughs> I procrastinate <laughs> because the end result, the attached result is the I'm getting paid to do it because I can see the attachment to the end result of me finishing the project, it motivates me to do it. But if my attached result, if I detach myself from the result, then I can do it on my own because it's not necessarily upfront fiscally 
beneficial, but in the long run, it's fiscal, it will be fiscally beneficial. And in order to be heard, in order to be seen, if you have a podcast, if you have music, if you are an artist, whatever you are, you, you need to take the responsibility of mining your own gold. And in, in our terms, that means being on top of your social media game. That means doing a, it's funny, uh, independent artists, I, I did music for some time, but independent artists has a advantage because they don't have the limitations, but they have a disadvantage because they don't have a resource. What I mean by they don't have a limitation, they don't have some big brother standing over top of them saying, you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. You got to do it. But then they don't have the machine behind them to put money into the marketing that it takes. But if you take your own marketing <laughs> by the horns, you can be the machine. And you don't really necessarily need the machine that's going to give you upfront money and charge you 18 cent like a charlatan to the dollar. What do we, we call it? Tax, right? Then you got to pay your manager. You got to pay. Your, for your hairstylist, you got to pay your, they give you this money and then they take it all back. They send you to their jeweler, they send you to their marketing team, they send you to their lawyer before you stuck with a bill. <laughs> and when you take advantage, when you take ownership of whatever product you're doing, whatever thing that you're doing, this is what myself taught. This is what I had to say to myself, take ownership and, and do the thing that you know that you that, that you need to do or get out the game either get your head in the game or don't play the game because it's, it's not going to be beneficial to wait for somebody else to hand you something no one's coming to hand you anything no one wants to just no one's giving away anything people invest but they invest in things that are already synergetic they invest in things that are already moving the motion upward forward motion people start to look at and they'll be like wow i want to be a part of that so people are investing to be a part of what it is that you've already built no one wants to invest while you go build you have to have your blueprint you have to have your your, your, your schematics you have to have everything in place in in, in construction um, before we would even get the architect they would do what they call a feasibility study and a feasibility study is to let if the project that you're building is worth investing in in our communities and then i'll bring in in our communities most people they get a little money they want to open a barbershop <laughs> or, or a laundromat but is it feasible they don't take the steps of doing a feasibility study they say oh i just want to have a barbershop but it may not necessarily be feasible how are you doing steve i'm doing fine i'm doing fine well, um, drink, drink, first of all, drink, drinking, drinking in what you're serving here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, uh, thank you for um for being patient with me. This is our third time, <laughs> um, so I'm happy to have you on. And and I, I just want to say thank you. And and before we get started, happy holidays to you and your family. I don't know if you do the Merry thank Christmas you. thing. I'm just <laughs> yeah, we do, we do what we do. We're not. Yeah. We're not big into any specific holiday. We do decorate Christmas-wise for the kids and so forth. But I don't know. Once you get to a certain age, it, to me, it just doesn't – the enthusiasm for, for that aspect isn't as much as it used to be at one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's true. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, re- I remember New York in Christmas because I I was born in Manhattan. I worked in Oh wow. I worked in Manhattan for the beginning stages of my career. And I really got my jump start from the job I was in from when I got out of school basically until nineteen seventy nine when I left it in New York. That's where I was. I walked up from the Port Authority building every morning, said hello to everybody on the way up, and yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I used to take nice long walks around the city for lunch hour and stuff like that. The air is crisp. <laughs> I bet it is now. And the wind, in those days, the wind was there, and you had to duck the pieces of newspaper that were flying around back there, <laughs> back there in the 70s. That was around that time. That was Mayor Koch, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Koch era. What are we up to now? I've been for the last forty some years. I've been an investment manager, a private investment manager for people, people from all over the country, some throughout the world, directing their portfolios, and in a different manner than most most people are. Hey, your market value is this, your market value is that. Look at this total return. Wow, you're getting rich. And then all of a sudden you have a downturn in the market and say, it'll go back up. Don't worry about it. For the time being, we're going to have to sell securities of yours to give you the money you need out of your account. Don't worry. Don't worry. The market always comes back. My approach has always been a little different. It's been, let's see how quickly we can make your money work harder than you do. Okay, when, how I got here when I was, like I said, in my early 30s, I was fortunate enough to have some assets to work with when I was young. And I took those assets and in a period of from about a four or five years period until 79, I developed a strategy for investing that generated, by the time I left my job there, it generated for me about five times what I was making in salary at my company. And then some connections I knew, one of the people I met when I was on my honeymoon and so on, had had more had a whole lot of money from a restaurant out on Long Island that he owned. I showed him what I'd been doing with investing. He said, here, can you do mine? So I said, I'm not sure legally if I could do do yours or not. So I had to do some investigation to find out what it took to legally start managing money pe- for other people. And I took the RIA test, the, the registered investment advisor test at the time. And I found a broker that I could work through and so on. And I, I left the company and started my own investment management business. I retired from that I should say, I got an offer I couldn't refuse to sell my business last May. So now what I'm doing is I'm coaching people on how to develop the income in their portfolios and keep that income sustainable even during a market downturn, a long recession or correction in the market higher interest rates, lower interest rates, just how to keep that income growing regardless of what's going on around us in 
the economy, basically. And that's what I do. That's amazing. That's a lot. And, and, and to have all of those years in the industry. So what is one of the things, one of the biggest misnomers that you find that people have concerning money? Concerning investing, yeah. Investing, one of the biggest mistakes I think they make is the uh, idea that they're going to be able to pick a winner. You know what I mean? And that mm -hmm. this winner's going to make them rich. I can understand why someone would get caught up in that type of thinking because there's so many what ifs. What if I had owned Google when it first came out or Amazon <laughs> or one of those? But what they don't realize, and, and I think it's part of the fault of the education system in the country, they don't do a whole lot with finance and understanding how the economy runs. But there are probably 10 times as many failures as there are successes in issues that come new on the New York Stock Exchange. You hear those bells, hey, we're announcing the startup of this company today. Wow get in on this IPO and they mark it up so that the, the founders of the company deservedly so get wealthy immediately and then they have to prove themselves. But, and I, I think the, the, the best example of that is, and it's not so long ago, it's right around the turn of the century. You've heard of the dot-com bubble. And back in uh, 1999 or so, 1998 through 99, all of the companies were on what we used to call the over-the-counter exchange. Now they call it NASDAQ. All the technology stocks used to start up there because the requirements weren't as stringent as they were on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's why all the startups were there. So these were companies that, the announcers, the, the hosts, the financial talking heads used to say, welcome to the no value rally. All these companies never made a penny in their existence yet, but everybody expects them to, to do. So. These are the companies that are pulling the market up to these outstanding high levels. And eventually it caught fire and it self-destructed. So people are chasing that type of success story. They think, it, I'm rich. I own ABC stock, and it's up so much. And then all of a sudden, it's not. All of a sudden, it's down. And the broker says, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to come back. But maybe it doesn't. So they get to the end. And I used to say, in, I said in my first book, that most unrealized gains in investment portfolios wind up as realized losses on the person's tax return. In other words, it's gone up, it's gone up, it's gone up. They didn't take their profits. They wind up holding on to it. It turns out in the long run that they just finally sell it at a loss. That's what I avoid. That's what I tell people. I'm a, unlike most investment advisors, I set profit targets for everything I own. I run investment portfolios like you'll run your, you'll run your hardware store. 
right? Mm -hmm. I got inventory on my shelves in the form of securities. Somebody comes in the store, they want to pay my markup. I don't say, no, no, the price is going up tomorrow. You can have it tomorrow, maybe. I say, okay. here, take it. Take it right now. It's yours. I got my profit. I take that money. I put it to work. I put something else on my shelf to sell. And that's how I ran a portfolio. And that's why I got to the point where my portfolio got to be big enough that it was generating enough income because I focused on income. I never buy a stock if it doesn't pay a dividend, for example, back in the day. So it was always paying income. And that's how in 79, I was willing to thumb my nose at the big guys on, on I wasn't on Wall Street. I was uptown in the 50s up across from Rockefeller Center, that area. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I, yeah, near the Christmas tree. And I walked away. I said, I'm going to, I went home. I told my wife, honey, I don't have a job anymore. I'm going to start a business. And after I picked her up off the floor after she fainted, <laughs> I explained to her what I was going to do. So that's how it started. So let's go back to that day when you confidence to, to walk away. Because most yeah. people don't have the confidence. They may have the, 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 the knowledge. They may have the capital. But they, they don't have the confidence. Did you? How did you know within yourself? What was it inside of you to know? Not that I could just be a good advisor, but I can build a business. The building a business part, I, I, I never had these dreams of being a big public company or anything like that. I really just wanted to advisors get about one and a half percent of the amount they manage for people. That's typical. The more the client invests with you, the lower the fee is. I'm not an advisor anymore, but that's how it worked. And I was in a community where there were quite a number of wealthy people. And I had a really good connection with the broker I was using. And my approach was so much different than the average approach that he and I both felt that by using using some good marketing, we could probably come up and get a business started that would, you know, would more than satisfy our needs. So we put together some marketing. We went on some radio shows. I don't know if you ever heard of a person named Adrian Berg. The Adrian Berg show that was long, long ago. And there was another guy who had a financial show whose name I, I can't remember right now. But he and I developed a friendship. And I was a regular on his show talking about this stuff. And you just be, and I started to write articles. And you couldn't really publish them that well, but you could. you could get information out there if somebody would pick up the article and stuff. But... It just, and then of course, social media helped a lot when that finally became big. But we developed a clientele. When I retired, I had 150 clients all over, all over the place. Almost, wow. uh, it's not that big. It's in, in the managed for a big company, it would be peanuts. But for an individual, mom and pop type operation like mine. 110 million under management is a big number, yes, particularly yes, yes. particularly when it's hands-on management. Because 
I just got done just now, today, finishing writing holiday greetings messages individually to every one of my old 150 clients. I'm still in touch with them, even though I'm not running it anymore. I passed it on to somebody else. The idea of an income-focused investment approach is not something you'll not something you'll hear about too much. Most people say, "Oh, we can beat the market. We can make your portfolio rise in market value. We'll keep you from paying any income taxes because we won't take any profits. We'll just let it run and stuff like that." And how do they pay the bills when these people retire? Mm. If you're not if you're making 2% on your investment portfolio and your advisor and you are agreeing that you need to take 4% of your market value every year to pay your expenses. That's the normal approach people see. Where do they get the 4%? Because they're, mm. they're not doing a whole lot of work. If a dividend does come in, it's automatically reinvested. So you don't have any cash in that portfolio to pay 4%. The 4%. They have to sell something to get your monthly payment to come out to you. And what they typically do, because it looks good on the statement to have everything in the green, they don't take the profits, they take the losses. Oh, okay. Okay. Because what a person, a typical person, because of all the hype and the way everything is expressed in, in Wall Street terminology is up is good down is bad when the, in the general market and you only want to see green on your statements you don't want to see you don't want to hold on to anything that's going down now there's one professional i'm not going to make any names but his stated philosophy is sell your losers and let your profits run so think about this since the market all of the averages were at all-time highs around January of 2021, 22, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 22 actually. And in, in less than a month, we're going to have a two-year anniversary. The only average that has risen above its all-time high of that time is the Dow. The S&P is still down a, a small amount. But the NASDAQ is still down almost 10% from where it was two years ago. Hmm. All that 4% is coming from selling, pretty much selling securities, selling principal. Whereas in an income-focused portfolio, those portfolios have been growing the income every year. They've been generating 7 8 10% a year in income. So they don't have that problem. They don't have that problem. They have definitely got a portfolio that's down in market value. But if it's in good quality, diversified securities, it's still generating the same income and better than it was two years ago. Give me an example of an income producing like stock. What would we be looking at? Okay. The, the major stocks and a lot of people go out and they say they're doing 
dividend stocks is what their investment medium is. But you'll have any of the big companies. You take Walmart. You take any of the oil companies. You take some of the NASDAQ companies. Some of the tech companies now pay a very small dividend, but not all of them. But almost any, all the secure, all the stocks in the Dow, Dow 40 are dividend payers. There are hundred, literally hundreds, almost maybe a thousand different companies you can buy that pay dividends. Okay. But you have to do an awful lot of research to see if those dividends are sustainable, see if the company is sound and, and so on. And the numbers are still small. The average, take mutual funds, for example, where most people, most startup investors will start with mutual funds and now ETFs because it's, it spreads their risk. It's an instant diversification method. And almost all of them pay some kind of income. Okay, so that's, that's where most people will start. I use a different vehicle. It's actually an older vehicle. It was developed... Rumor has it that it was developed in the Netherlands in the early 1800s. I haven't been able to necessarily prove that. My my friends over there keep telling me it's true, but I know they I know that it was they were existed in the United States 30 30 years before mutual funds were started, and over 100 years before ETFs, and they're a very similar type of security except for a few very important differences. The first and the same stocks we just talked about, mm -hmm. all of those stocks are in almost all the good mutual funds and almost all the ETFs that are equity oriented will have those same stocks. So will these closed end funds, which is what I use. The difference is that a closed end fund vehicle is a trust vehicle. And it's hmm. a, pa a pass-through trust, which means all the income it gets, it doesn't pay taxes on it so long as it puts gives 95% of it to the, to the recipients of the trust, the shareholders. So that kind of blows your mind because all these other entities take that money reinvest it and try to grow their market value where these mm. guys, the guys I'm using, these managers, and these are managers, these are household names. These aren't any new. These are things like BlackRock and PIMCO and Nuveen. All those big name companies have these securities. They just don't advertise for some reason. They're not, they don't have a goal of growing market value. That's the distinction. Their reason for being in business is to generate income for their shareholders. And that, that's, an, that's like having a thousand, there are two, over 200 that I invest in. That's like having 200 employees on your payroll. Their job is to give you 8% income. If they give you 8% income, you're going to keep them. If they don't, you'll find somebody else. It's the same type of thing. And in the book, which you can see back here over my shoulder, The Retirement Money Secrets, is a book I just released in September. And in that book, I go through the seven, really six or seven principles 
that applied to all investing, but particularly well to these closed-end funds. Things like always investing in high-quality companies, mm. high-quality funds, high-quality companies, always diversifying a lot of different companies, a lot of different companies that are already diverse, a lot of different funds that are already diversified in a lot of different companies. Income generation. Everything I own has to generate income. King is what most professional investors don't do. And I think it's because of the fear that a client's going to come back and say, oh my God, you sold that and it went up to here. You, I could have made, I could have, I should have, I could have or should have, would have made more money if you had a crystal ball and kept it. And like I have a crystal ball, I wouldn't have sold it. And my lawyer says that you shouldn't have sold it. So here we are. But that's the thing. But I'm taking that profit and I'm putting it right back into another entity. And if everything continues to go up, it's going to go up. The new one's going to go up as well. So that's the thing. Those are the four main points. There are two other points. And this, again, this applies to all investing, not just my style with closed-end funds. The one thing is you have to recognize that the stock market and the interest rate market and the economy as a whole doesn't go up in a straight line. There's things called a market cycle. And it, is, it exists, what's there, you can see where you are within the cycle. The only thing you can't do is predict what's going to happen one, next. You certainly can tell that we're, right now we're starting to get at a higher level than we were 10 months ago, right? Market is higher, much higher than it was then. But that doesn't mean it's at a peak, but we know prices are higher. So you adjust your buying parameters. You adjust your selling targets by where you are in this cycle all the time. But the good thing about it is there's never been a rally that wasn't followed by a correction, and there's never been a correction that didn't succumb to a rally. So if, you're, if you pay attention to the big three, the quality diversification income, and you're only buying that kind of company or that kind of fund, you can say, yeah, I should be buying them when they're down. I should be buying them when they're low, and I should be selling them when they go back up again. And that's when you, mm -hmm. sell, you set your targets. The final thing you got to focus on in my style of investing, which I call income-focused investing, is you have to focus on income generation and growth of capital. And capital is different than market value. Capital is the amount you've invested. Let's say you had 75 condominiums that you owned for rental income all over the country, right? Okay. You don't really care about the ups and downs of the prices. You care about the rents that are coming in every month, right? So that's the focus on income. You don't keep your eyes on the prices except for buying and selling, of course. You don't, but not for, oh my God, it's down, or oh boy, I'm rich, it's up. You're saying, are the tenants paying their income? <laughs> are the tenants paying their income? 
do I need to fix the roof? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think investing in real estate is, is tougher because it's got more overhead than what I do. But the focus is pretty much the same in that area. You talk about flipping. I think you were talking to a guy on an earlier podcast that I listened to. And he was talking about he buys and holds and mortgages real estate, but he doesn't flip it like a lot of people. I'm more like the flipper. <laughs> I'm going I'm to buy, I'm going to buy just packages, securities, whether they're bonds or stocks. And if I can make a 5% gain real quick, I'm going to sell it and flip it and find it. That was going to be my next question. What are your trigger points? Are you looking to, to you so you use it 5%. So at 5%, you, you're gone. You don't fall in love. <laughs> I don't, don't. There's no love in investing, right? You can't fall in love. And I'm different. I sell. When I sell, I'm not selling out of hate. Like most people hate it because they've lost money. I hate that stock. I'll never buy it again. <laughs> I say, I love it. I just made a quick 5%. You selling I, out can't of love? I can't wait to buy that thing again. I, I it's just Come a back whole down to daddy. <laughs> you're right. It's, it's a different mentality. It's not that there's anything wrong with the other approach, really. It's just if you're in a position where you're looking at retirement five years out or you're in retirement, what you need to know is that income is going to be more than I need to spend every month, regardless of what's going on in the stock market or the economy. Hmm. Now, so you're like a, a long-term day trader. <laughs> I, if I can make five percent in a day, or even two percent in in the same day, why not? You know? Why not? Yeah. Let's say I I visualize my table, my my desk that's that I'm smacking my hands down on right now, <laughs> as full of buttons. And all those buttons have the symbols of these closed-end funds I use. Some of them are filled up with equities. Some of them have, have income-producing securities in them that are taxable. And some of them have tax freeze. But I've got all these buttons. So I know if I sell something, I can just push. And they're all yielding right now because interest rates have gone up fast. So prices of income generating securities have fallen. So right now their yields are in the nine and 10% range. Mm. So if I sell something, so even at nine or 10% though, that's less than 1% a month. Mm, okay. 
and they mm-hmm. pay monthly. So if I can make a two or three percent profit, that's three months income. I can break that in, push another button and reinvest it probably about the same income for the next 12 months. You see what I'm saying? And if I hold, let's say, and I can do that in a matter of days. Great. If it takes me three months, I've, I've gotten three months of income. Then I've taken a, a three, you know, a 3% profit. And now I can invest that for another 12 months of income. Cause I don't know if, or when I'm going to be able to take that profit, but I know when the market's rising, I can take lots of those little ones. For example, we just had a big run up and then we had a day where it yes. went down 300, 300 points. Yes. Okay. Yesterday was a, a, a big, was yesterday a big Yesterday it went back up. The day before yeah. it went down three or 400 okay. points at the Dow. So I'm saying, hey, I have been taking my profits for 15 days. So in a sense, I might have left a couple little ones on the table that day, but I've all the bigger ones coming up. I I had already taken those profits and now I'm putting it back in at a lower price. Day trading, I love it. If I can sell it in a day, the only you know, the only thing you have to be careful of when you sell it that quickly is you cannot buy something immediately with the proceeds. Because mm-hmm. there's a three day or a two day period before you actually get the money. <laughs> Or you yeah. own the other one. So if you have the money in the bank already and you're buying then, another then one, that's fine. But if this is proceeds, but that's just, that's neither here nor there. But the, the idea is the same. So in investing my way, you have two kinds of income, in op- two kinds of income plans in, prop- in operation. You've got this base income from the distributions of these. 250 different security funds of securities. If nothing else, if prices don't go anywhere, even if they go down, but they don't go up enough, you've got that base income right now, 9%. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's fine. Then you have the other income stream. That's the profit taking. And the more aggressive you are, the easier it is to make that entity you have an up market, you can make that entity generate more income than the regular distribution. Wow. So I want to get into this, the psychology of, of pulling the trigger, because a lot of times people don't, especially if, if you're coming from the, the place where I'm selling when I'm losing, juxtapose to the place where I'm selling when I'm winning and I'm going back in when it comes down. So I have to really reevaluate the way that I've been thinking about buying and selling. What is that psych- psychology? What? Oh, how did you so, have to train yourself? It is so hard to do. I. That's my biggest difficulty. That's the when I get people who call me from the book, they said I'm still trying to wrap my head around this idea of taking my profits and putting it back into something else or the same thing at a later date or whatever without they really have difficulty. And what about the taxes? As bad as the taxes are, there's still no more than 30% of what you of the profit. So you're still ahead, right? You're still ahead 70% of you got seven you have net 70% to reinvest so you're not losing anything but yeah getting wrapping your head around that 
for me, my father, I don't know if you ever get out to North Jersey, do you? Right now, I'm not too far from North Jersey, yeah. Yeah, but if you ever go out there, there's a place called Lake Opakong. It's up in the northwest Jersey. It's the biggest natural lake in New Jersey. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And that's where I grew up. My, I left uh, Manhattan or the Bronx, actually, when I was five. We, my parents moved out there. My father was developing property on the shores of that lake. And they oh, were right. mostly summer. Yeah. And flipping and renting yeah. and mortgages. He had vertical, a vertically integrated real estate company. He would mm. loan the people the money, just like the guy on the podcast the other day. He would loan the money to build, to buy the house. He don't, he owned the real estate. So he sold the real estate, mortgaged it for them, built the house. Had He had, my uncle was a, an insurance guy. So he did the insurance for it. <laughs> That's vert, vertical integration. Any of your any of your listeners who took some economics in college or something like that will know what that's all about. So he did that. But what he always told me was, he says, the rents, the building requires capital. The mm. building, the land buying requires capital. You got to pay for that. And he was a guy that didn't want to borrow anything from a bank. So I generate capital by all these mortgages I hold from selling my stuff in the past and the rentals I get from all these people who rent here in the summer and rent things from me. I have this cash flow, this enormous cash flow. Most of it I use to fund your mother, <laughs> but the rest of it, she allows me to reinvest. And that's when I can buy more property and buy, build more houses and do more of this. But he focused on income generation and when he saw that I was going the route of investing in the stock market, which he never invested in, he owned coupon bonds. You're not old enough to know what they are, are you? No, no. Coupon bonds in the old days, there used to be, and the wealthy or people, I can show you one, but I will in a minute. But a, what a coupon bond was, it actually had coupons that you clip off the bottom, you take them to the bank, and they would cash it in for you. And the thing about it was, and they were either corporate or mostly municipals, I think. So they were, no, they were both kinds because people would take them to the bank and cash them, but they never report them. So it was a way of beating them. Let me show you, yeah, show your listeners yeah. what it looks like. Hang on a second. Oh. This is the bond. See it? This wow. That, that has to be worth something so here are the coupons that the people would clip and they would clip out the bottom wow once wow i didn't have the microphone on no no you can tell that that that's amazing and and the amazing part is the fact that you weren't looking you wasn't out trying to hawk it <laughs> I got this thing. I need some money. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's an heirloom. I. It looks real to me. I'm not sure it is. I've yeah, had it. But, my, I've had it in my office pretty much since I started business. So I've had it. Brings it for a you lot. back. 
it brings you back into that mindset. You said you didn't have, I want to be an entrepreneur, but you had a, a, a blueprint. You had someone that was in front of you who oh, was yeah. independent, who, who understood profit, because we don't go into business to to support our habits or our lifestyle, right? We go into <laughs> business to, to yield a profit, and to, then we create habits, right? <laughs> We, we depending on how much we have determines what kind of habits we develop. Exactly. That's, yeah. So that's what it, I, I had that influence of everything you do, make sure you're getting paid, make sure you get some income from it. And when I first started mowing lawns for the people in the neighborhood and teaching young women, young girls, like my friends, how to water ski, stuff like that. I had some, these jobs. I had a lawnmower. He, my father bought me a lawnmower because he said, oh, I like to encourage you to do this. You pay for the gas, I'll buy you a lawnmower. I got so many customers. Eventually, I bought myself a second lawnmower and got one of my buddies to do it for me and to, to the others. We had a business going. So I took all that money and I gave it to my father to invest for me. Mm. And, what he, and he actually turned that over to his lawyer and his lawyer was a, a stock market guy so when i got to be 25 i got what the lawyer had done surprise it was like i thought my father had paid it for college but apparently he had just been investing it and paying the college out of his pocket so yeah i been blessed as you would say yeah. over the years yeah. but still that's what got me started when i had that first portfolio it was all the high quality stocks like we talked about before they were all paying some sort of um dividend i got the actual certificates and how to take them to the broker's office it was neat you don't yeah. see there are no certificates anymore i don't no. think you can get you can't get a stock certificate but that's when I, I did that, and then I, that's when I started trading. I started. I think it's important for for our audience, those of you who are listening. This is Walking Victory. I'm your host, Nora Tillman, and we're having a, a conversation about money. In America, we don't really have conversations about money. You know, we don't want to talk religion. We don't want to talk money. We don't want to talk, you know, like oh, you just. But here it is. We have two juxtaposing backgrounds, right? I grew up. In the inner city, for Rockaway Queens, what they call the projects, the housing projects, where someone had to teach me about business. Then I had to learn about money. I had to learn about stock. I had to learn about investment. I was in construction. I had to learn about real estate. I was in the industry, but I didn't understand it. So I, I was I started with what they would what they call watchdogs because I was in doing construction and the guy was like oh if you, if you see anybody in distress I'll give you a couple of grand ten thousand twenty thousand dollars you show us some properties I'm like hey I could do that all day right? <laughs> I, but I was giving away money I wasn't uh, and then I had to learn oh wow, I'm giving away money right because he's giving me ten thousand dollars because of, look what he's making and, and 
I started to understand. I went and I learned real estate. And I understood profit. And during the, the, the market, the bubble bust, we was doing flip 110, 120%. And it just, boom, everything froze up. Everything stopped. So I had to learn business then. Because see, just because you're making money don't mean that you know what you're doing in business. <laughs> As T hit the fan, that's when you understand if business or not. Can you survive the downturns? Can you survive? Can you survive the dot com bust? Can you survive the bubble busting? Can you survive? Can you stick it out? Pay your people and, and right. eat tuna fish, and, and 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 until you figure out how you're gonna land on the other side of it. So. When I got into real estate at first, it was a very buy and flip, buy and flip, buy and flip. I wish I had someone who said, you oh, know, hold, hold. Because in the end, these people are, are going to be looking for places to rent. I, we were so happy to sell because we, we, I had kids in private school, we had nice cars. Mm -hmm. we, had, we, had, we ate out every day. <laughs> shop and look sharp, but we ourselves. And then at the end, on the other side, it was nothing left. I, I, I've, I've helped. I had to close my office, <laughs> take my furniture out, putting it in the U-Haul, mm. sitting on the side of the road after we unpacked the U-Haul, saying, "Now what? How do we yeah. bounce back from this?" But it was during those times that I realized. That coaching was important because someone else went through it. I didn't have to sit there and, and try to figure it out. I can talk to somebody and they can tell you, you can bounce back and, and they can give you a blueprint. And that's what th th this podcast is for me. Um, it's easy to talk about the, the, the sunny side, but there's some people that might be listening. They may be having a hard time at it. Find somebody that that can um, mentor you and, 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 and show you where to go and, 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 and let you know that. Every business, as you say, got ups and got downs. What are some of the things that you had to overcome? Uh, well, pretty much it's been at uh, and regulations mm. in my business. Attitude of upper managements, my my broker and I, and we. We didn't have an actual partnership, but I've been, I was working with the same broker since the eighties and, mm. and he's still pretty much at the company in the same capacity. I am. We're now advising the young people in case of problems or talking to the old clients in case they get nervous that we're not calling the shots anymore. I, I think I just lost my train of thought, but yeah. Yeah, the attitude of the people above us, the people who who bought us out, we tried to show them that we had this income-making machine that we use mm. for our clients. That we've had we had the same two clients that started with me in 1979 are still in the house today. Mm. That's how we never, almost never had anybody leave us because of our income approach. Hey, George, it doesn't matter that the market's down. Your income is growing. You know what I mean? Mm. 
that type of thing. Don't worry about it. You're going to be able to pay the bills. The kids' education is fine. You're going to be good. So we didn't lose people because our market values. Prior to the dot-com bubble, we got a couple got wayward and said, oh, my other guy's making me a lot more money. I'm going with him. They had a good year. Of our, the people who took us over, they couldn't care less. What they were concerned of, we get paid on market value. AUM, hmm. amount under management. They really are almost saying, we don't give a darn about your clients and whether they're making enough income. That's not our, that's not why we're here. So that are, that's are you, that's the one attitude that I are, have are had. You, are you like a, a a a chameleon? Are you like just this? Do you do, is going to sink? Can sink the client base. It, it can because it's like all right now. I'm used to making this amount, and now I'm not. I'm not making. But do you think that your philosophy? Is you need, can you see any young people coming behind you that that will pick up your book and start to develop that philosophy? Oh wow, yeah, I've certainly got a lot of investors who have started to picked up the book and have started to go for the income, and there are at least two of them right now as we speak that are saying, "Hey, I've given a copy of your book to my financial advisor." Would it be okay if we sat with him together and explained the process? And I say, hell yeah. I'm not in competition with these guys. I want to mm. help them show their clients how they can make more money. I, they're going to, in the long run, in the long run, I'm convinced of this. They're going to make more money by providing income and security financial independence, income independence to their clients and their clients telling their neighbors that this guy made me income independent than they are by ride, riding the stock market up and down because they have no control over that. No, if the no, stock market goes down, they're going to have to pay. They're going to have to sell those client securities in order to give them the money they need. They cannot do anything about it. In our system, it never bothered us. We didn't have to, we don't have to dip into principal because we're making enough money to take care of the bills. Now, if somebody comes up with an emergency, a tree went through his roof and he wasn't insured and he has to take out $35,000. We can't do anything about that. You know, yeah, but yeah. for the most part, a guy can call us up and say, Hey, I'm going on a trip to Africa next April. I want you to make sure you have 40,000 or whatever available for me before the end of March. We can do that because we just won't mm -hmm. reinvest. So that's the distinction. So that's, that was the one stumbling, the one major stumbling block doing it our way was that the people we worked through didn't appreciate our focus as much mm -hmm. as our clients did. And the other is <clears throat> regulations. Um, Regulations in the securities industry are very strict. Like you talked about day trading. I've been accused of day trading. Let's say I bought us way back, even in the old days when I'd buy us back in the days when the 
what is it was its name? Ross Perot. Mm-hmm. Ross Perot years and years <laughs> ago was helping uh, all the oil companies consolidate, buying up, buying up. I had, I probably owned stock in 70% of the major oil companies at the time for various clients. One after the other, they get bought up and we'd make a big hit. But some of them, you just, you might've just bought it for them. You were lucky as hell. You bought it two or three weeks before, or two or three days before the announcement came out. So here you got the shares of Standard Oil of Ohio that you, it's, it would be fishy if, if we were putting hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. But if you just bought a hundred shares, nobody's yeah, yeah, going to accuse you in, inside trading. So you'd have situations like that where we just bought it. And two days later, it goes uh-huh. up. 35%. We get on the horns. So <laughs> we get excited. We put in orders for all our clients and, and take the profit. But we get phone calls from the compliance department that we were day trading and be careful. You're not allowed to do that. I said, we just made our clients a 70% profit in two days and we did something wrong. That's the kind of attitude. So the compliance aspects of how we operated and how they tortured us in 2000 and in 2019 20 we were in a significant rally in january and february and march this is when covid was first coming around and everybody was denying it and so forth well we were taking profits on I was taking twenty, thirty thousand dollars in profits a day. I've got a book. Big member. I got a big book of business. I've got one hundred and fifty clients. Tra- different trading. We were told that we were taking selling too often. We were selling too often. I was forced to only take. I couldn't take profits unless the position was up at least seven percent. My target is 5%, like I told you. So I had to wait for 7%. And then I could only do so much a day for each. They were just re- tying my hands. And here we are in March. And I've got, I have to leave this money on the table because compliance tells me I'm not allowed to do this. And 10 days later, the market's fallen 40%. So I, I wanted to write a letter to the compliance department. You owe me $650,000. You owe my client $650,000 because you're stupid. That is stupid. And compliance departments, they're not even the SEC. They are anticipating what the SEC will say to them the next time they're audited. It's like the what if they see this guy's trading habits. They're going to find me. Why? If they were, if the guy's churning, if he's in the old days when there were commissions, they used to churn and they just be trading just to get the commission. So that doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. When you trade now, you pay. The broker pays the house, the broker dealer for each ticket. So he's not making any more money by trading. He's paying more money by trading. It's just the opposite of what it used to be. And these people are still using the same old mentality. So talk about obstacles. Those are the two primary obstacles in my career. 
the attitude wow. of the people you're working with, not recognizing how beneficial what you're doing is to the guy whose money you're handling, because they could promote it if they wanted to. Could you imagine if, if Fidelity came up out with an app or a, a product and started selling it to be, hey, 10% income, we're going to pay you so much monthly on this per, these portfolios. No, they don't go up in market value a lot because they're paying out all the income. They don't go up in market value. They're not going to always be high like that, but there will be profit taking options. They can't sell that because everybody is looking for the higher market values, higher market values, higher market values. Some, I'm hoping somebody's listening to this show going to call me and say, hey, Steve, we want to buy that product from you. <laughs> Listen, Steve, I want to buy the product. What's the name of the book? <laughs> uh, Retirement Money Secrets. Retirement yeah. Money Secrets. Listen, everyone, yeah. you've heard it. I'm mesmerized. This is the, I've never had a conversation around securities that, like, the, the thing that's coming in my mind is predictable profits. Mm -hmm. Like, you you figured out that how to get predictable you can predict what you're going to be doing well, and and with that small incremental when i eight five percent that's like everyone like you said everyone wants the home run you like the singles and doubles I'm just, i've always been a single sitter i'm a little guy you know, if they had a short if they had a short right field fence i was a good lefty pull hitter yeah, yeah, yeah. i could get it over the fence normal any place else nah i'm too small Singles are, that's a good, that's a great analogy. Well, Steve's information is in, in the description. Um, If you want to have a schedule a call, if you, if you want to learn more about it, just hit that link. We're not just here. We're here having a great conversation, but we, we do want to make sure that we go out and get the information because, and then act on the information. Don't just get information and not act on it, but get the information and act on it because the model is there and this this is a proven model for oof, over 40, 40, 40 years 40 plus years yeah. 40 it's all in the retirement money secrets it's a 20 if you buy a paperback it's a 20 dollar investment and i know i'm not i can't use the word guarantee but i think if you read it you'll find more than 20 dollars worth of value in it hmm. everybody you can choose how you walk some people walk making excuses. Some people walk just trying to hit home runs. Or you can be like Steve. He likes to take those singles and the walks and the bunts, and he walks <laughs> in victory. Um, don't forget to hit and subscribe. That's your currency to us. We thank you because our numbers are really, truly growing, and it's because of your commitment. Have a great end of the year if you're listening to this at the beginning of 2024. Have a great year and make every day great be mindful of what we say and mindful of how we treat each other and let's continue to walk together in victory peace this has been another episode of walk in victory podcast where we sit you at the feet of the masters we hope you enjoyed today's episode and found inspiration and valuable insights to apply to your own life if you did please show us some love by liking and subscribing to the podcast 
Your support helps us reach more people and share more stories of triumph over adversity. Until next time, keep walking towards victory. And don't forget to follow us on social media for updates and behind-the-scenes glimpses of our episodes.